says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you so much, Lord God, that you are in this place to break your word, to feed us, Lord God, to build our spirits up. Lord God, we submit to your word right now. We ask you, Lord God, to operate on us. Lord, cut, divide, open, take out, put in. We submit to you. We ask, Lord God, that you would speak a rhema word to our hearts this morning. Father, I ask that you would wear me like a glove. That, Father, you'd be the substance of what is said and that, Lord God, people would hear your voice resonating in their hearts even beyond what I say. That when we leave here today, we would leave here different than we came in. And we promise, Lord, at the end of this all, to give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, and everyone say, Amen, amen. You may grab your seats this morning. What a great day to be in love. Oh my gosh, I, I said that right there. And so people are just like... Um, you know, some, some years ago, back in the late 60s, 70s, there was this uh, commercial for this toothpaste called Ultra Bright Toothpaste. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yep. Ultra Bright. It was called the Sex Appeal Toothpaste. D- did you know this? Like, I can't even believe this existed like this. Like, the sex, like it, let me tell you how the, the ads would go. The ads would be like there, there'd be a woman and she'd be smiling and there'd be all these guys around and they'd ignore her, right? And then she would use Ultra Bright. And when she used Ultra Bright, the best looking guy in the bunch would notice her and then they'd get together and, and then it would say, Ultra Bright, the sex appeal toothpaste. <laughs> like, what is that? But there was, this, there was this one where she'd do it, right? And, you know, they'd change her taglines over time. And then there was this one that she would do it. And then it would say, the tagline would be, ultra bright. So how is your love life? <laughs> right, right? And basically what it was saying is, man, if your love life is in the dumps, you know what you're missing. Oh, come on now. It's ultra bright. <laughs> because toothpaste can add dimensions to your love life like you've never seen before. I mean, just the right, I mean, and yeah, toothpaste can, but I mean, it's like, seriously, you know, like, ultra bright. And, and then it would go on, it would be like, you know, if you use ultra bright, basically what it was saying is you'd get the right guy, right? You'd get the right romance, the whole thing. Would, you just have like an ultra good looking guy because you used ultra bright. That's, it's kind of weird. But that question, right, how is your love life, has been one of these questions that over the years, you know, people ask each other. And, and, you know, some people are like, man, love life is great, right? Some people are like, what love life? I I dare say some of you in here are like, what love life? What were you talking about? I don't even have one. Some people are like, love life is terrible. I remember there's this uh, story I heard once about this couple. Their love life was kind of going down the drain. And so um, they're, they're, they're married their love life was kind of suffering. Their finances were suffering. Things were going pretty bad. Well, the wife ended up stealing something from the supermarket and getting caught. And so the husband followed the wife to, to, the, um, to the court. And the, the judge sat down and said to the wife, No, you were caught for 
shoplifting. Tell me what happened. So she said, well, Your Honor, I, I stole a can of, of peaches. He said, what? A can of peaches? He said, why would you do that? She said, I was hungry. So he said, um, hmm, what should I do with you? How many peaches were in the can? She said, six. So he said, well, six peaches, six days. Well, right before he was hitting his gavel, the husband stood up and said, Your Honor, uh, I have something to say. So he said, go ahead. She also stole a can of peas. How many of you know that love life was not great at all? She went to jail for murder. So today's message is entitled, How is your love life? How's your love life? And um, when we think of love life, we think of romance. We think of that special someone. We think of, you know, so, so being swept off our feet. But when we look through the pages of, of the scripture, we realize that God wants us to live a love life, not have a love life. That what he's called us to is live a life that is so marked by love that it's almost impossible for anyone to mistake who we are. Because it's not about having the love, it's about living it. And so, as we look at this, this, this idea of having a love or living this love life, we want to look at every situation through the lens of what does it mean to live this moment in love. Not in love, but in love. You, get this, you see what I'm saying? In other words, here's what a question I want you guys to walk through throughout today and throughout the rest of this week. The question is this. What does love require me to do? In every situation, in every relationship, in every conversation, what does love right now require me to do? Let's turn to John chapter 13. Um, and this is the story of Jesus at the Last Supper. John chapter 13, we'll pick it up about 34, verse 34, 35. And um, as we're looking at that, I want to kind of give you a background of what's happening here. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. Everything is about to go down. He's watching them. They've just finished eating. And he gets up and he says to them, you know what? I'm going to serve you. So he takes off his robe. He takes off his stuff, puts on a towel, and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. Do you remember that story? And as he's going down, he's washing the disciples' feet. He comes to Peter, and Peter says, don't wash my feet, Lord. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, look, if, if I don't wash your feet, you're not a part of my group. And so Peter says, well, wash my hands and my head and my whole body. And Jesus like, you know what, Peter, you're just kind of really extreme. And so he goes on, he washes everybody's feet. And at the end of it, as soon as he's finished, he says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, this is awesome. Because Jesus is washing Judas's feet, knowing that Judas is about to betray him. Let me ask something, okay, just honestly. How many of you would wash the feet of somebody who's about to betray you? None of us. None of us are like that. None of us sit down and go, I know this person hates me, so I'm going to do everything I can to love them. But then Jesus turns around and he says, guys, I've got something I want to talk to you about. He says, I'm about to go away, and where I'm going, you can't come. So here's the deal. I want you 
to have this final commandment from me. I'm giving you a brand new commandment, something you've never heard before. And I said, what is it? And he says, love one another. Now, the thing about it is, it was kind of like a disappointment, if you think about it, because Jesus had already told them about loving each other from before. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as your... Yeah, of course, he had said that before. He even said to them, love your enemies, do good to those who despitefully use it. He said all those things. So they're like, love, love one another. Jesus, that's not revelation, all right? That's, like not, that's not a big thing. In fact, some of you are here going, okay, is that what the message is about? I know that already. Now, Jesus says this. He goes on, he says, just as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. You know what Jesus was saying? Do you remember the way I loved you? Do you see, I mean, some of them will look back at this and say, do you see how I'm loving, loving Judas, even though Judas is about to betray me? Do you remember when I called you and other people rejected you? Do you remember how I treated you when everybody else thought you were? Matthew, remember how people used to treat you because you were a tax collector? And remember that I called you? I not only called you, but I had a party at your house with all your friends who were also tax collectors. I put my reputation on the line so that I could love you. Do you remember that? That's how I need you to love each other. And so he goes on. I'm going to read it. He says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you go to church. If you read your word, if you memorize scripture, if you fast and pray, hello, no, hear what? They'll know you're my disciples if you tithe. <laughs> Jesus says, no, let me tell you something. None of those things are what make you my disciple. Uh-oh. Oh, that's heavy. People don't know you that you're my disciple because you believe the right things. People don't know that you're my disciple because every Sunday they can't find you. That's not why they know you're my disciple. They know you're my disciple because you love. And here's the thing. If your prayer doesn't lead you to love others more, then stop praying because it ain't working. Can I say that? If reading the word doesn't lead you to love others more, then you're wasting time. Because here's what the Bible says about that. The Bible says that, look, if you're all just increasing in knowledge, knowledge puffs up. But it's love that makes the difference. And so Jesus says, look, all your spiritual activities really don't prove anything. What really proves everything is how you love. And the problem that we have a lot of times is that we think love is one thing when God thinks love is something else. In other words, God's love is different from our love. And we oftentimes think that we're actually obeying this commandment because our definition of love is different from God's definition for love. Are you with me so far? And so what we have to do is kind of figure out what love really means. Because in our English language, love means everything, right? Love is like, I can love my wife and I can love my dog. And how many of you know that's not the same thing? I hope that's not the same thing. It's different, but we use the same word for it. And because we use the same word for it, oftentimes we think we are loving each other when we're really not. 
Are you walking with me so far? And so I'm going to tell you what, how the Greek kind of defines these words, this word love. In fact, there are four words that the Greek uses for our English word love. The first one is eros, and eros is feeling love. Okay? Eros is love that's motivated from our cravings. In other words, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. All right? That's eros. It's all dependent on our flesh. Right? So as long as our flesh feels good, man, eros is in the house. Eros is what Hollywood tells us and the music industry tells us love is. In fact, anything from Hollywood to the Little Mermaid is eros. Right? Na, 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 my, oh, my. Look like the boy is shy. You got to kiss the girl. <laughs> That's eros. <laughs> Eros is like, hey, come on, man, let's get it on, you know? I mean, seriously, James Bond is still not married. Why? Eros, man. <laughs> James Bond is like, I mean, from, from the days when he was like, you know, Sean Connery to now. I mean, it's like, come on. Like every movie, three girls. That's Eros. Eros is, is um, the kind of love that says, it's not always sexual, but it's always selfish. It's the one that is, it always seeks to satisfy its own desires. Um, it's, the, it's what we sometimes feel like needs to happen in order for us to have happily ever after. Because Snow White was Eros. Remember that? I mean, she didn't even know the guy. All right? <laughs> the only thing the guy knew about her was the slipper. I mean, like her shoe size. That was it. Okay. No, that's Cinderella. <laughs> hey, you know. But you think about these, all these things. And, and here's what happens. Is that we get fed this idea that eros is the way of love. That the person needs to make my heart skip a beat. You, you get what I'm saying? Well, how many of you know, after a couple of years of your heart skipping a beat, they, they have a condition with a name for that, right? You see what I'm saying? There's a, there's a problem if your heart keeps skipping beats. If your liver keeps quivering. <laughs> it's unsustainable. After a while you get exhausted. Especially if you're on the side of receiving the love of somebody who loves you through eros. Because it means you always have to perform to make sure they keep loving you. Well... Right there. That's a good one. Hallelujah. The second one is phileo. Phileo means friendship love. And friendship love is really motivated by companionship. That's the stuff when people think like, oh man, I just want somebody I can talk to. I just want somebody I, I can lean on. Somebody who will understand. You see, it's, it's this, this idea of friendship love. This is why you and people connect and you say, like, you know, in Jamaica we say, um, if we don't like somebody, we say, my spirit can't take them. Right? That's why we say it in Jamaica. In other words, me and them will never be friends. All right? There's no, there's no. But, but when it comes to friendship, there's this kind of mutual connection. There's this mutual contribution that you give, I give, we give. We like each other. We get something out of this relationship. We're together. Uh, phileo is a, a great love. It's where we get words like Philadelphia, right? With brotherly love, right? We get um, words like, I remembered some this morning and then I forgot. Um, give me a Philanthropy, right? Anthropos, that means male, mankind. 
phil, phileo means love, so lover of mankind. That's why people who are philanthropists give to people. They're lovers of people. Anything you see with phileo, philophile, any of those words actually means love. Um, philosophy, Sophia means wisdom, phileo means love, lover of knowledge, is a philosopher. And so this, this word translates a lot into our English, but the phileo idea is that we are connected together out of this mutual benefit. In fact, when Mary and Martha was calling for Jesus because Lazarus was sick, this is the word they used. They said, Lord, the one you phileo is sick. When Jesus got to the tomb and he was crying, it says Jesus wept. All the people around said, look, he really phileoed this guy. In other words, in their minds, the love that Jesus had for Lazarus was one that was mutually beneficial. And oftentimes, in our minds, we think that God loves us as long as I continue to contribute to Him. That we have this friendship that's mutually beneficial. You don't understand the love of God. If you feel that somehow you need to keep this relationship going out of your effort, you're wrong. And there is a phileo attitude that we come sometimes into the kingdom with that says, if I can just play my part, then God will be all right with me. Hmm. Hmm. That's good right there. I'm going to skip around myself. Hallelujah. Phileo really speaks about our happiness, not just my happiness. It's about us, not mine. And so phileo is really good. But then there's another level. It's called storge, and storge is family love. So if you think about it, we talk about feeling love. We talk about um, having this friendship love, and this is family love. Family love is a little bit more than a friendship love. Because have you ever been to somewhere where you meet a family member, and you would just do something for them simply because they are family? Yeah, that, that's storge. Storge is based on commitment. Storge says that even though I don't like my brother, the fact that he called and needed help, <sighs> I'll do it. I'll do it. Why? Because it has nothing to do with my feelings. It has to do with my commitment. It's based on my will. It's based on me doing it because simply you exist. You are, you are my brother. You are related to me in some way. You're connected in some way. Right? This is when the world speaks about, hey, love is not a feeling. It's a choice. This is what they're talking about. They're talking about story. They're talking about the kind of love that's dependent on my will. And that's the problem with storge. It is dependent on your will. Uh, storge, a good scripture for that, and, and a good word that we use in English for it, is the word devoted. In, in Romans chapter 12, it says this about storge. It says, um, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. That word devoted, that, that's the word storge. Storge means I am hopelessly devoted to you. That's what storge is. I'm devoted. I'm devoted. And so storge is probably the highest form of human love we can get. But that's not it. Because God's love is called agape. And agape, watch this, agape is the Father's love. Agape is not based on my cravings 
or my connection with somebody. Agape is not based on like the sense of companionship or commitment. Agape is really based on Christ. It's motivated by him. It's all about him and it's dependent not on my will but on my spirit. It's dependent on the Holy Spirit. Remember last week when Pastor Eben spoke about love from your heart and forget about your head? Remember that? Some of you had a hard time doing that this week. How many of you had some challenging times this week? Can I love it from your heart? Come on. Be honest and put up your hand because I had one. Man, I got into a situation this week. I was like, love from my heart. It was hard. But you know what? Eros and Phileo and Storge is all head. It's all about the natural man. But agape is from the spirit. Agape is something that's generated from the Holy Spirit. It's something that is outside of us that becomes a part of us when we become, when we become Christians. It's dependent on Him. So when we ask the question like, what does love require me to do in this situation? What we're tapping into is agape. Is this type of love. Agape isn't based on the merit of the person receiving the love. It's not something that can be earned. And therefore, it's not something that can be unearned. And that's really crucial. Because agape will always be more than you deserve. I want you to think about this for a second. Agape will always be more than you deserve. And it's solely based on the lover, not the beloved. When I... When my wife was pregnant, um, I fell in love with the bump on her belly. It was, it was kind of one of those strange things. Like as soon as I knew she was pregnant, I was very excited. But what really became more exciting for me was when they did the first ultrasound. And I don't know, you know, some of you know this, some of you don't know this, but when you see an ultrasound for the first time, it looks like nothing you've ever seen before. It looks like a, a, a round, like a circle on top of a pea, okay? Like a bean. And, and it... There's no limbs, there's no, there's no, in fact, when you do it and you know, you start showing people, you have to tell them, okay, right here is the head, right, no, that, no, not there, here, right, you have to go through all of that, right, because there's nothing, there's no, there are no fingers, toes, there's, there's nothing, there's just like a head and something attached to the head, and, but at that moment, when you see that picture, something happens inside of you, it happened inside of me, and here's what happened inside of me, I made this, there's this, this, this feeling, sense, this, this position I took at that point, that regardless of how this thing comes out, male, female, hands or no hands, fingers or no fingers, no matter how this comes out, I was going to take care of this for the rest of its life. That there was something inside of me that I recognized it was going to cost me some sleep, it was going to cost me some diaper changing. It was going to cost me some money. But it didn't matter what it cost. I was going to give all I could to this thing. Because at the time, it was just a thing. It was just a person that I didn't even know what it was. There was no shape. There was nothing. And as I was thinking about that, and thinking about, this is what agape is. Agape says, it doesn't even matter who that is I'm going to love 
Agape says this, that look, you can't earn this that I'm giving to you. You don't deserve this that I'm giving to you. You can't get to a place. Do you realize that when she was born, she was in that bassinet in my room at the time, and she kept me up half the night. Half of it was her crying. The other half was wondering if she died. Man, she hasn't cried in a while. Is she alive still? All right, how many of you, all right, how many of you went through that? Okay, thank you. But I just, I just stand up and watch to make sure she was breathing. And then I'd get fascinated by the fact that she was breathing. Like, like, like it was like huge. She didn't wash any dishes. She didn't clean up the house. She didn't earn anything towards rent. She did nothing at all to contribute to our lives. But I loved her anyway. That's agape. Here's the thing. That's what Jesus says we need to do to each other. That's what Jesus says we need to do to each other. Jesus says, hey, let me tell you something. I want you to love people, watch this, who don't deserve it. In fact, I'll say it to you this way. You will never be able to deserve my love. He says, some of you in here are thinking, I don't deserve God's love. He says, you'll never be able to deserve my love. You'll never get there. There is no place in your life, even after death, that you'll get to the place where you go, finally deserve it. You will never be able to deserve his love. So here's the question. Why do people need to deserve yours? When he says to love one another the way I loved you, what he was saying, love them because they're undeserving. Love them because they can't make it. I'm going to put up on screen here just in a second. I want you to look at this definition for agape. Look at this. This is awesome. Agape is unconditional, unlimited, unselfish, unmerited, unrepentant love that keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, unaccepting, and unworthy. Oh, come on. Thank you, Lord. That, that's how you love me. That's how you love me. It is unconditional, unlimited, unselfish, unmerited, unrepentant, even when we're unresponsive, even when we're unkind, even when we're unlovable, even when we did not accept it. We're giving up on love for some people because they're not accepting our love. He says, I didn't give up on you. Even when we're unworthy. Because agape assumes right off the beginning that you are not deserving of it. You can't earn it. It's all about me giving you, not about you earning me. Here's what Romans 5 says. Because when we... We think about that, we go, okay, I get that God can love me that way, but I don't see how I can love other people that way. Romans 5 says this, because you know what? <clears throat> Before I even get to Romans 5, let me just say this. 
Jesus didn't say that this was the great suggestion or a new suggestion. He said this was a new commandment. That means he's telling us this is something that I am ordering you to do. I'm commanding you to do this. And God doesn't give us a command that we don't have the ability to accomplish. That wouldn't be fair. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to tell you what you need to do, but I'm going to give you the ability to do it. So how does he do that? Romans 5.5. 5. He says it this way. That the love, the agape of God is shed abroad where? In our hearts. It's been poured out in our hearts. By who? The Holy Spirit. When we ask Jesus to come into our hearts, the love of God came with him. It was a package. It was like an all-inclusive package. We got the Holy Spirit by grace and he brought love. And he brought love. Enough. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, listen, I loved everybody. I mean, I got saved and I was like, man, I love everybody. And my mother, who wasn't saved at the time, used to say to me, um, look, you cannot love everybody because everybody doesn't love you. It just didn't make any sense to me. All I knew is that I had this, what, this feeling of just wanting to be a blessing to everybody. I mean, even if I didn't know you, hey man, how are you doing? Listen man, how can I bless you today? What can I do for you? How can I, how can I serve you? I wanted to just love everybody. And my mother used to warn me against that. But that's what God wants us to do. She wants us to live a love life. God wants us to live a love life. He wants us to live in a way that would be so marked by love that people can't mistake us for anybody else but Christians. Can you imagine if all of us started to love each other in that way? Just think about this for a second. Can you imagine that you'd have people who would look on us and say, you know what, even though I don't want to be a Christian, boy, I certainly want to work for one. Because they love their employees. Oh, catch it this way. Hey, you know what? Even though I don't want to be a Christian, I'd really like to hire some Christians. <laughs> you know what? There are Christians now who don't even want to hire other Christians. But can you imagine people looking on and say, you know what? I don't believe in their God, but I would certainly love my daughter to marry one of their kids because they treat their wives with such love. They treat people with such respect. They treat people with such honor. I would love my people to be involved with their people, even if I don't become what they are. That we would be such a witness that people would look on us and say, that's, that's a Jesus one. That's a Jesus one. That's a Jesus one. They love too much. That's what God was saying. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. You've got to get to this place where people see you and the way you behave. Watch this. Not the way you believe. But the way you behave and they know that you're mine. Because too many of us are focused on discipleship as a belief system instead of a behavior system. And so we go, hey, you know what? What do you think about this? What do you think about it? That don't matter. What matters is, am I loving? Nobody cares about what you believe if your behavior doesn't line up. How many of you know people who believe all the right doctrine and all the right stuff, but their behavior don't look like love, and in your heart you're going, you are a hippo. Come on, say it. Of course. 
Because they believe right, but they behave wrong. Jesus called them Pharisees. So Jesus has given us this command. We think sometimes that love is something that happens to us, like the flu. Like we just, you know, we get Zika. We're just like, oh my gosh, you know what? I'm in love. You just kind of like, like, uh, kind of like, uh, what's his name? Like Elvis, right? Wise men say only fools rush in. But I can't help falling in love with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> Let, listen. You don't fall in love like you fall into a pool. You don't fall out of love like you fall out of a tree. I'm just saying. Love isn't something that happens to you. It's something that you do. <laughs> it isn't something you feel. It's something you decide. You see, what you do with love is much more important than how you feel about love. Because what are you going to continue to do? What are you going to continue to do? Jesus spoke to this church and he said, you've fallen from your first love. And then he said to them, return to your works, which you did at first. In other words, the way to get love is through works. Love is about works. It's not about feeling. Hmm. That's real interesting right there. It's our belief. It's not our belief. It's our behavior. Ephesians 4.2 says this. This is uh, Paul speaking. He says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Live a life worthy of the calling. How? Love. Love is what causes you to look worthy of the life you've been called to. How about this one? Uh, Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved. And given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. Live in such a way that it reminds people of the love of Christ. Live a life filled with love. So when you approach every situation asking this question, well... What does love require me to do? Then it starts to make you start thinking about doing, not feeling. In other words, look, the co-worker and she does something and you know she's against you. And you think to yourself, what does love require me to not feel? Are you with me? Not feel. What does love require me to do when the person offends you? Not what does love require me to feel. What does love require me to do? When the person speaks bad about you, what does love require me to do? When the person is wrong and they pretend they're right and you know they're wrong and you know that they know that they're wrong, but they won't admit that they're wrong? What does love require you to, to do? Right? When the person makes a mistake and you're the boss, what does love require you to do? Oh, you know what? Let's take it out to the workplace for a second because here's where most of us struggle. When your child makes a mistake, what does love require you to do? 
When your child makes a mistake, again, what does love require you to do? When your husband or your wife or the ex or the whatever, when they do the thing that you know they're not supposed to do and it's annoying you and getting under your skin, forget about what you should feel. The question is, what should you do? What should you do? Sometimes what we feel we should do really doesn't even line up with Scripture. So this is why I want to help you today because I want to help you know what you should do. And so let me give you kind of a, a, a matrix to kind of go by. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to just point out five words that kind of captures the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is known as the love chapter. Remember, love is patient, love is kind, love is all this. So here's the five words I want to give you. The first one is patience. Love is patient, love is kind. That kind of captures the whole idea of patience. Is your action patient? So let's start with that. Is your action and your response patient? Number two, is it preferring? Preferring, what does that mean? It says love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not proud. In other words, love doesn't power up on the other person. Love instead, instead prefers the other person. Is your action preferring? Here's the third one. Is your action polite? Because some of us nowadays, especially because we just think that, you know what, I'm just going to tell them the truth. And you know what, who don't like it, bite it. Hey. You just figure, hey, you know what, I'm tough because I don't have to go down to anybody. I'm always going to tell them. Listen, no, no. Love is polite. The Bible says, speak the truth in Oh my gosh, right there. Right there. Speak the truth in love. All right, so love is polite. Here's the other one. It's pardoning. What does that mean? It says love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, it's forgiving. So it's always pardoning. And you have to ask yourself, is my action pardoning to the person? This is heavy. It's patient, preferring, polite, pardoning. Here's the last one. It's persevering. Love does not delight in evil, it rejoices in truth. It always protects, always loves, always hopes, always perseveres, always, always, always. Is your action persevering? Or are you like, I am tired of this, I'm done. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so it's very sacrificial, I get it. But that's, that's what agape is, it's very sacrificial. But there's some benefits to agape, and I'm going to go through these real, real fast, because there, uh, I started at A when I was doing the research, and when I got to Z, I stopped. Because, you know, when it started going to like A, A, B, B, I said, that's too much right there. So I'm going to just go shoot up to you. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, God respects love more than worship. Wow. I love you, Lord. Yeah, but you don't love people. Lord, I give you my heart. Can you give me your attitude? Come on now, somebody help me out here, right? Yes. Man, we got our hands lifted, we got our voice raised, we got all that stuff. But man, it's not flowing out of us. It's not flowing out of us to other people. It's not flowing out of us. Uh, love makes you like Jesus and the Father. Love is what distinguishes you from non-believers. We spoke about that. Love opens the door for the manifestation of Jesus in your life. John 14, 21. Love makes everything work together for good in your life. Romans 8, 28. 
For all things work together for them who agape God and who are called according to his purposes. Love fulfills the law. Love gives you access to the secret things God has for you. Love makes you blameless. Woo! Man, I, I, I preached this one to my wife the other day. Babe, love makes me blameless. <laughs> right there, right there. Praise God. Love builds you up. Love gives you the power to resist temptation. Love brings you joy. Love keeps you in the light. For he who loves his brother is in the light, even as he is in the light. Praise God. Love is proof that you know God. For he who loves knows God. Right? He who loves is born of God and knoweth God. Who, he who loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Love keeps you your sin level low. It says, where lawlessness abound, the love of many shall grow cold. Amen. Love is proof that you're a follower of Christ. Love makes your faith work for faith worketh by love. The love is the fruit of the Spirit. Love is evidence of maturity. Love keeps us united. Love makes you an example to others. 1 Timothy 4.12 Love helps us overcome lust. 1 Timothy 2.22 Love is never forgotten by God. Love covers sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. First Peter 4, 8. Love destroys fear. For perfect love casts out all fear. For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. Love destroys fear. Love adds profit to our good works. For he who does all these things but does not love, it profits him what? Nothing. So therefore, if I do it with love, it profits me something. Amen. And love outlasts everything else. Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together for love? Amen. Amen. And so let me close with this thought. Let me close with this thought. In order for you to release the love that's already inside of you, you have to receive the love that's inside of you. You say, what do you mean? I'm saying it this way. You have to receive God's love in order to give God's love. I'll say it another way. Loved people love people. Loved people love people. And it's difficult for you to love unless you know that God's love for you is unconditional, unlimited, unselfish, unmerited, unrepentant. And that it keeps on loving you even when you are unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, unaccepting, and unworthy. In other words, here's this. God loved you at his best when you were at your worst. Hold on one second, okay. God loved you at, your be at his best when you were at your worst. That means... You can do nothing more to make him love you any more. God loved you when you were at your worst. The Bible says it this way, but this is the way God demonstrates his love to us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did for you when you were at your worst. And now he says to you, can you love others when they're at their worst? Can you do that? Because if you're able to receive that he loved you at that level when you were at your worst, then you're able to give that love to other people. 
You see, when you are able to receive that love, when you're able to receive that and recognize that God loves me in my worst state, then you'll be able to allow the Holy Spirit to love through you. Final scripture says this. 1 John 4 verse 9 to 11 says this. In this is the love of God that was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And so, Here's the thought I want to leave with you. Do you believe that God loves you just the way you are? Do you believe God loves you? Because here's the thing. If you can't accept his love the way you are, if you think that there's something more you need to do for him to love you better, you can never... Let me say it this way. If you have to earn his love, everyone else will have to earn yours. If you have to earn his, they will have to earn yours. And here's the other question. Do you love you just the way you are? Because we can't love our neighbor as ourselves if we don't love ourselves. He said, but there are so many things about me I want to change. I agree. There are things about me too. There are things about my kids that I desperately want to change. You know, I'm telling you. You know that same big one that didn't like clean up all the time when she was in the bassinet? She still don't do it. <laughs> but here's the deal. As much as I want them to change... Them changing doesn't change my love. I am fully committed to them whether they change or not. They are mine and I will love them the same whether they are A students or a C student, whether in athletics or drama or nothing. No matter what, my love for them is constant even if I want them to change. And you've got to ask yourself, do I believe God loves me even if I never change? And can I love me even if I never change? Because if you can't, you're waiting for others to change so that you can love them back. And you'll never experience agape if you do it that way. Amen? So I want you to bow your heads with me. It's Valentine's Day. And the world can make us feel sometimes that we're not experiencing love. That there's no one to love us the way we need to be loved. Let me just say this. God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an agape love that says you don't have to perform for me. You don't have to earn it. You'll never deserve it. I love you because I am love. And then he says, and I'm in you. And I want you to love others. Would you allow me to love you in such a way 
that you will allow my love to pour through you. Can you do that? Can you see yourself the way I see you so that you can love others the way I love you? Father, I just pray right now. There's so many here, Lord God, who whose heart is hurt, whose esteem has been hit. The messages they've heard, the feelings they've gone through, the experiences they've had, have given them the message that they are not worthy of love. That they feel, Lord, that no one will ever take advantage of me again, and no one will ever come close to me again, and no one will ever get a piece of my heart again. And Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for a healing in this house right now. Your word says you came to bind the brokenhearted. And I pray, Lord God, that this morning you would minister to the hearts of every person here who is in desperate need of the love of God. Pour into them this morning. Hallelujah. Father, I pray, Lord, for those who don't know you. I pray today would be a day that they would experience the love of God. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, and if you died tonight, you don't know whether you...